chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 13 through 34 in the New King James Version. Do you have it this morning? Say amen. All right, let's read it together. Verse 13. These are the words of, of, uh, of Jesus interjecting here in this story. It says this, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who has made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Pause right there. Go back to that verse. Notice what Jesus said. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Sound like he had attitude, didn't it? Look at verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? And so he said to himself, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I'll build greater barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, that is his mind, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be to which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or about the body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than what you put on. He says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, but God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And of which of you can add by worrying one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, then why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they neither grow, how they grow, but they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then if God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O, little, o ye of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. That's a word for somebody today. For all of these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows all that, that you all need these things. But look at verse 31. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Now I want you to focus in on verse 34 with me. Here's the words of Jesus. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we ask that you would bless it, that you would use it to speak to us Lord, David said in Psalms that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I pray that your word today would shine a light in every corner of our life and help us to trust you, examine our hearts, and to follow you in everything that we do. And we'll give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
this morning in the presence of God. Well, we're glad that you are here today. Listen, if you have been on this journey in the last few weeks with us, it has been nothing short of intense. We have covered some heavy stuff from sin and repentance and and looking at the examination of our heart to see that our heart, number one, is deceitful, and number two, to have a clean heart, we must have a heart of repentance towards God. How many of you want to have a heart of repentance towards God? You want to be sensitive to the Lord to the point that when you err to the left or to the right, that the Holy Spirit can convict you and that you can get back on the path you need to be on. I thank God for God's GPS, the Holy Spirit. And so I must confess to you that over the last two weeks, I have felt like Jeremiah the prophet. I've said, Lord, why must I deliver such hard things? And so um, I wrestled with him on that for a little while. But this morning, I do believe I have something very, not as prophetic today, but more pastoral that I think will help each and every single one of us today. This morning, I want to talk to you from the subject, the currency of trust. The currency of trust. Would you say that with me one more time? The currency of trust. I want to ask you a question today. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust him? You see, I've asked my friends in the media booth this morning to throw a couple of pictures on the screen And if they can do that this morning, I want to look at these with you. Somebody read that to me. What does this say? In God we trust. I want to look at the next verse, or the next slide, rather. It says, you know, this is currency of the United States of America. Go back to the the next one, please. Um, Getting ahead there just a little bit. Go back to the dollar picture. See what it says. It says, in God we trust. So every time whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian in this nation, and you spend money inadvertently or whether or not on purpose, and you look at your currency, it literally says, in God we trust. But the question that I want to ask us this morning, is that really true? Is it really true? As Christians, do we really trust God? I want us to think about that. This morning as we begin to unpack this because what I believe is this is that we oftentimes trust God with our eternal soul. But yet we struggle so much in trusting God with our temporal dollar. Hello somebody. This is not a message on giving per se. The offering is taken. There will not be another one this morning. Although you can give anytime you would like. But this morning, I do want to talk to you about what does it look like to trust God with your finances. See, I believe that what a person does with their resources that God has placed into their hands says a lot about that person's priority and their character. So I want to show you some research that that I've I've gotten here, and they can put this next slide up on the screen this morning. But um, according to Vanco, Vanco is a giving processor. They're a company that works for churches that process online giving. And so Vanco and Relevant Magazine partnered together in research. And here's what they did. They analyzed over $400 million that were given through the American church 
in 2023. So these are recent statistics. So what they did was they sought all of the giving through their company. They sent out an anonymous survey, and they asked that the people would participate honestly. And so out of $400 million plus dollars that came through the hands of this giving processor, Vanco, here's what they found out. One of the questions they asked was this. Does this honestly represent 10% of your, un, uh, your gross income? Does it truly represent a tithe? And here's what they found out out of that $400 million that came through. Only 2.5% answered that that was really representative of their tithe. What that showed us further in the research was that the average person only gave 3% per capita of their income to the Lord. Now, I know you may be saying this morning, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? It has a lot because it shows the condition of our trust towards God. Because our last verse that we read this morning says this, where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. And you can tell a lot about what a man or a woman loves by where they invest their time, where they invest their talent, and where they invest their treasure. Now, I know some of you may be sitting here this morning. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I, I tithe because I mark tithe on my envelope. Let me tell you, tithe is not what you mark on your envelope. It's what you actually give. Hello. Are you with me this morning? All right. Just a few people. All right. Let's, let's get through this today. The word tithe, it literally means tenth. Somebody say tenth. And the Bible teaches us that it is the first tenth of our increase. Now, I got into a conversation this week with somebody that was, I posted a, a post about tithing. Um, I had talked with somebody in an airport, and they were asking me questions about it. And, and somebody, you know, they, they messaged me privately and uh, they don't go to church, they don't even live here, live in another state. But they messaged me and they said, well, that's, that's under the law. Christians are not supposed to do that. And I said, well, thou shalt not murder is under the law too. It is, right? Wasn't the law of uh, thou shalt not murder in the law? But guess what? Murder was still wrong before the law. Because God punished Cain because of what he did to Abel. And just like murder happened before the law and was wrong before the law, tithing showed up before the law. It was included in the law, but it actually showed up where Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, which Hebrews tells us is a type of Christ, our high priest, who has no beginning and no end. And so just because the tithe was included in the law doesn't mean that we should disregard it on this side of the law. In fact, the tithe, its purpose was to go into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, it went to the temple. When the temple was destroyed, it went to the synagogue. And now, in the time of the church, it goes into the church. Your tithe doesn't belong to your cousin's mission trip. It doesn't go to rescue dogs and other humanitarian things. The tithe's purpose is to go into the church where you receive ministry in order so that ministry can continue in the house of God. Does anybody understand that this morning? Hallelujah. That's the purpose of a tithe. But the question is, if Vanco's 
statistics, which only represented just a portion of income that had came into the kingdom of God just through the American church, if it even represents any level of accuracy, then that shows us right now that we have a problem when it comes to trusting God with our resources. Today, I want to help you see how to trust God and what God wants to do in your life. Amen? I truly believe that with all of my heart. As a pastor for the last 18 years, uh, I've sat desk uh, across from people, different, different ages, different seasons of life, and I can promise you that there are two, two commonalities to every person that I've ever sat with that has had financial difficulty. There's been either one or two things or sometimes the commonality. Number one, they usually don't tithe, okay? Number two, they normally don't have a budget. And there are a lot of people who are tithing, but they don't have a budget and their finances are still messed up. And I want to just give you a word from the Lord today. It's practical. It matters what you do with the rest of what you have. Hello, we steward over all of it, and so a tithe is not a magical wand that fixes all of your financial impropriety. If you are tithing, but you're still running up your credit card, not paying it in full at the end of the month, and you're getting nailed with 28.9% interest, your tithe is not going to fix that. Hello, you got to be practical with your giving, but the tithe actually helps us focus and put God first in our lives because listen God is the only one that's really truly our answer and the tithe helps us to realize where our blessings come from and keeps us grounded in the work of the Lord now in our passage what we find here this morning in Luke chapter 12 is that Jesus gives us some of the greatest financial advice that we possibly could ever have and he begins by telling a story. You can go back there with me. I won't read this lengthy passage again altogether, but this morning I, I want to read some of it. Look back at verse number 13. It says, And then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Another word for covetousness is greed. He says, for one's life, notice this, you need to, somebody needs to underline this in your Bible because it's going to set you free today. Look at this. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Your identity as a person, your identity, your self-worth, it does not exist in the size of the engine of your truck or how many boats you have or anything like that. And so many people are working their selves away, neglecting family, neglecting God, neglecting things, only to build bigger barns, bigger houses, and never do anything for the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them, take heed of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Now let me stop right there and just tell you this morning, God is a God who blesses work. He does not bless laziness. 
God said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. When he created Adam and Eve, before he ever created Eve, he gave Adam a job in the garden. Then he gave him a wife. Hello, ladies, don't you marry a man you got to go pick up, and don't you marry a man who ain't got no job. Not my sermon today, but I'll stop there for a moment. Work is not a curse word. It is a vehicle that God used, one of the ways that God uses to give us seed in our hand that we can further plant into the kingdom of God. And so I want you to, I want you to see this. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the things of which he possesses. Because I think he knew that there would be some people who would chase the almighty dollar rather than chase the almighty God. Now look at what he said. Verse 16, he's getting in a teaching position here because Jesus was a master teacher. And it says, and then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man. What kind of man was this? He's a rich man. He already had a lot. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I have to do since I have no room to store my crops. And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And then at this point, Jesus, the, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 19 and further, it says that the man said to his soul, you've done good for yourself. Just eat, drink, be merry, pick up your feet, and have a good old time. Then verse 20 says that the Lord spoke and said, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, then whose will those things be which you have provided? Here's the moral of the story, church. You can't take it with you. You can't. You can't take it with you. And this man, even though the Bible was written in an Eastern culture, this man represents the mentality of a lot of Americans. I'm going to work all that I can. I'm going to put it in the can. And then I'm going to sit on the can. And you're going to catch me if you can. Right? That's what he said. This man had no purpose in his heart to be a blessing to anybody. Nothing in his riches or his substance spoke to him to say, perhaps maybe God has given me this great wealth so that I might build his kingdom or I might do something great for God or to bless somebody. No, no, no. His answer was this. Let me just build a bigger palace. And let me have bigger toys. And Jesus said, tonight, you fool. Your soul will be required of you. And as the Bible says, we'll all stand before the Lord one day. And we'll give an answer for the things that which we've done. The Bible says some things are going to burn up. Like wood, hay, and stubble. We'll be saved, but we'll be left there, but we'll be saved, but we'll be, we'll be left there with no reward. 
But there are others that will have precious jewels and crowns that they can offer to the Lord in worship throughout eternity. And the question is this morning, what do you want to have when you stand before the Lord? What do you want to have when you stand before the Lord? Do you want to be empty-handed? Do you want to have spent all of your years building your own empire, building your own kingdom, building your own thing, not having God in your financial forethought? Not at all, but rather just building and building and building. And yet when we stand before him, we have nothing to show for it. I don't want to be that way. Amen? So I want to look at our text, and I want to show us some, show us some things. Back in verse number Back in verse number 18, look at what he says here. He says, so he said, I will do this. Notice this, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will. You notice there's a lot of eyes in that statement. You know what that tells me? It tells me that this man has left the Lord out of his equation. He's left the Lord out of his equation. If you're taking notes this morning, just real simply from this passage, number one, here's what I would tell you, church family, as we're looking at spiritual cardiology, the matters of our heart. Number one, we must recognize the source of true security. Can I tell y'all something? How many of you are retirement age today? Raise your hand. Okay, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, but let me, just share, let me just say something, and I want you to signify if it's true or not. In today's economy, in today's economic system, how many of you would agree that social security is not so secure? Right? It's not enough. People have worked the entirety of their lives. They've put into it, and it has outpaced itself, and it is simply just not enough to live in. See, we've got to reframe our perspective on wealth. See, we can trust in our own ability. We can trust in our own strength. But let me tell you what happens. When you trust in your own ability and you trust in your own strength, when your strength fails and your ability fails, you are left holding the bag by yourself. But when you learn how to trust in the God who's more than enough, when you learn how to trust in Jehovah Jireh, when you learn how to trust in the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the potatoes under the hills. He can bless you far more than you can ever help yourself. Somebody said, I'm on a fixed income. Who fixed it? Christians don't live on a fixed income. You, you don't believe me? Ask, ask Elijah. When there was famine in the land, ravens fed him by the brook. God provided water. What the enemy tried to fix through famine, God fixed through prosperity. He blessed him. He watched out for him. And let me tell you something. I have seen God's hand move when we were young and married and unemployed and I had gotten laid off from my job and the little check I got from the unemployment office did not seem good enough. But because we had tithed and put God first, I saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Here's 
the thing. God is the source and our supply. Your job, they can fire you. They can go bankrupt. They can close their doors. But the bank of heaven never closes. That's why the Bible said, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. You got to recognize the source of true security. The man who trusted his riches, he trusted in his own strength. I've watched strong men break their backs in the oil field, working more hours in a day than a person should work. Seven days a week, week on, week off, with no rest, no Sabbath, no time off, no time with their family, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and they didn't have time to go to church. They didn't have time to serve God. Their families were falling apart. Their wives were with them only because they had a good income because they weren't home to be a husband anyway, and then they fall and break their back or sever a limb, and then they can't even work anymore. Folks, let me tell you, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul. God has to be the source of our security. I don't want to trust in social security. I want to trust in kingdom security. We got to have an attitude towards wealth and resource that's biblical. Biblical. Here's the next thing. Number two, I'm going to go quickly. We've got to embrace God's provision. Look at this passage after Jesus begins to talk to him a little bit. Verse number 20, he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. But then those, uh, whose things will those be to whom you've provided? In other words, when you die, that house is going to belong to somebody else. That land is going to belong to somebody else. That car is going to be deeded to somebody else. Because as the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, mummies in Egypt that have been excavated have found the pharaohs who were built with their treasures. Their treasures were still there. And then notice what Jesus said. Verse 21, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it mean this morning to be rich towards God? Then he turns to his disciples and here's what he said. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, I don't have a degree in English, but I did make good grades both in high school and in college. And I know that do not is a command, not a suggestion. <laughs> do not worry about your life. What you will eat or the body, what you will put on. Life is more than what you can eat. And the body is more than for clothing. And then he says, I want you to consider the ravens. Notice he didn't say doves. Consider the ravens. You know what? This is so significant to Jewish people. Because God was trying to tell them, you know, uh, let, me, let me back up for a moment. You know when God flooded the earth, 
right? In Genesis 6 and Genesis 6, 7, and 8 are the story of Noah and their family. When the floodwaters began to subside, there were two birds left, let off the ark that would determine whether or not the floods have decided. They sent out a dove and they sent out a raven. They sent out a dove. Dove symbolizes purity and wholeness and peace. And the raven is a flesh-eating scavenger bird. They knew, excuse me for just being plain, but just like in Hurricane Katrina with all of the flooding, there would be stuff floating around that, that had been killed in the flood. And the raven would not come back to the ark, but rather would feast on that flesh. But the Bible says that he let out the dove, and the dove came back because there was no place for it to light its foot upon. There was no place that it would find rest. And so listen, God uses to these Jewish people at this time, which are God's chosen people, and he chose to contrast their own provision with how God treats something like a raven, whom the Old Testament says is unclean. Consider the ravens. They don't neither sow nor reap. They don't work a nine-to-five job. They don't have a storehouse. That the word storehouse, we would, we would translate that today as a bank or a holding place. They don't have a storehouse or a barn. And God feeds them. Then he tells his disciples. Somebody say he's talking to me. How much more valuable are you than the birds. Then look, here's where he hits us a little hard. He says, and which of you, by worrying, can add one inch or one cubit to his stature? How many of you know the answer to that question? If some of you could add cubit to your stature by worrying, you'd be 15,000 feet tall because you worry about everything. Worry, worry, worry. You don't have any fingernails. They're bitten down to the quick, and you just can't sleep at night. How many of you? The answer is none. Look at verse 26. If you then are not able to do the least, then why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. He's saying, look at the flowers of the field, how beautiful they are. Solomon, with all of his wealth and riches, wasn't as beautiful as these things. And he says, then if God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is bailed up and thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious, notice this, nor have an anxious mind. For all of these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. See, we got to embrace God's provision this morning. We've got to learn to release anxiety and embrace God's care. This morning, we're talking about matters of the heart. And church, here's what I want to tell each and every one of you today, no matter how old you are, no matter what kind of job you have, or any of those things, they don't matter. Here's what I want you to know. God cares about you. He cares about your life. 
He cares about the, the, you so much. He knows your address. He, he calls you by name. John chapter 10 says, My, a shepherd knows his sheep, and he calls them by name. Jesus knows you. He cares about you. He has um, given you eternal life. We've got to learn to release the anxiety that we have towards resources. Say, Pastor, is it really that bad? It is. Because not only, according to Vanco and Relevant Magazine, 2.5 people only actually really give what's really their tithe, but the second leading cause of divorce in America, right under infidelity, is financial issues. Financial issues. And I told you, when I talk to people who are having financial issues, who are Christians, one or two things or a combination of both, they either don't tithe or they don't have a budget or both or one of the other. Resources that the Lord puts into our hands are to be stewarded and managed as the Bible told us earlier in this passage, Jesus told us the parable, and here's what he said. It can be gone in a moment. And then when we stand before the Lord, who will have what we have worked for? Who will it belong to? Who will it be passed to? What reward will we have for holding on so tightly to what we have? What did Jesus tell us about anxiety and money? He said, consider the lilies of the fields. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about all that. God is going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. we got to cast our worries about finances to the Lord, even in times of uncertainty. Even in times of uncertainty. Folks, I understand the world is real shaky. There are times in our life where it seems like things are uncertain. But what I, and can I encourage you today to trust the Lord? Trust the Lord in this area of your life. If you can die, close your eyes, and trust God to take you to heaven and forgive all of your sin when you die, then why is it so difficult to trust God with a dime of every dollar? Amen? All right. Then I want to show you what Jesus tells them in verse 29. Look at this with me. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all of these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. Okay? Now, why is that important? He says, all of the other nations of the world seek those things. At this point, Acts has not happened. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out. The, the birth of the church as we know it today has not happened. And so he's telling his disciples, those who are of the household of faith, those who are of Israel, here's what he's trying to tell them. Even the, he, the heathens are worried about these things. But God's people should not be worried about those things. Then look what he says. Verse 31. But seek 
the kingdom of God. The other synoptic gospel says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Notice this. When you put God first, he said, then all of these things. What things? Clothing. Housing. Things to eat. God is saying, prioritize me first. First. In your life. Put me first and see what I will not do for you is what the Lord is trying to tell us here. Look, look as we continue on in that passage. Verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heavens, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's my third point of my message this morning is this. Number three, we got to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. We got to redirect our focus and our priorities. We got to redirect our focus and our priorities. We've got to put the kingdom of God above everything else. Church, what would our families look like if we prioritized the kingdom of God in our families? What would our finances look like if we prioritized the kingdom of God? What would our marriages look like? What would our churches look like? What would our communities look like if we put God first in every area? One of those commandments that was written by the finger of God in Exodus is, I am the Lord God and there shall be no other gods before me. There shall be no other gods before me. What if I told you today that we don't maybe bow down to stones and idols, maybe things carved of wood, but there are things that we pay homage to. There are things that we pay homage to. God is asking us, seeking first the kingdom of God. In context, above all else, but specifically right here, he's talking about our finances. We must align our financial commitments to reflect our spiritual priorities. Where we spend our money is a reflection of our priorities. It's not a message about giving. I mean, it is, but it's not, not directly. This morning, it's about our heart. It's about our heart. Where is your heart? Where is your heart as it relates to your resources? Are you the owner of what you possess or are you a steward of what the Lord has entrusted you with? That's the question you have to wrestle with today. Are you the owner of what you possess or are you a steward of what the Lord has entrusted you with? Because listen, if you're a steward of something that does not belong to you, you have no problem managing it the way that the owner tells you to manage it. Let me explain it this morning. God simply tells us all throughout Scripture 
to honor the Lord first. Somebody say first. You know how a marriage is blessed? God first. Listen, you can tie two cat's tails together and you can get unison, but you won't get unity. They will fight. God first makes the marriage work. Do you know that in the, in the, in the law of God, also carried into the New Testament, because the Bible says Christ is our Sabbath and we should seek to enter into his rest, God designed in the work week that we are to have a day of resting. A day that we put God first. A Sabbath's rest. And the idea is, is that if you put God first, the rest of your week will be blessed. How many of you know we serve a God who does not want our leftovers? He wants all of us. He wants the best portion of us. He doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want us to only pray at the end of the day when we're tired and we're exhausted and we've given all of our energy to our job and we can't even hold our eyes open to read the Bible and we're going to roll up on God like we're doing a big favor by whatever and we can't even stay awake at night. No, no, no. God wants the best part of us. He wants the first part of us. So he says, give me the first part of the week. John, in Revelation chapter 4, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. Show me a Christian who's faltering in their faith, and I'll show you one who's not putting church attendance faithfully. Fish were designed to live in water. Christians were designed to live in fellowship with other Christians in the context of the local church. So, God first in the marriage, God first in the week. But how many of you know God also wants to be first in our finances? See, the tithe is the first portion. In other words, if you have $100 and you lay out 10 one uh, if you lay out 10 10 dollar bills right that makes up 100 the tithe is the first one it's not the last one it's not the leftover one if you if you receive your resource and then you go and you give united 20 and then the gas pump 30 and you give the movie theater another 20 and then you get down here to your last and you say, okay, Lord, here's my tithe. No, no, no. You've given him your leftovers. Serious. I truly believe this. You've given him your leftovers because, let me tell you, it takes no faith to give what you have left over. It takes all of the faith in the world to give it first. And a lot of us are wondering why our finances aren't being blessed. It's because you're tithing to Netflix. You're, you're paying your faith promise to your car payment. You are tithing to the McDonald's, hello, and not to the Lord. And you, the principle is when we give God the tenth, he blesses the ninety. I wish I had some tithers in here that 
understood God really does bless when we put him first. Amen? Does anybody testify this works? You know, I've only found two types of people. People that tithe, you can't talk them out of it. And people who don't tithe, you can't talk them into it. Here's two types of people. You have people who say, Pastor, I just can't afford to tithe. And then you have tithers who say, I can't afford not to tithe. I'm telling you, I can't afford not to because I know where my blessing comes from. Yes, pastors tithe too. Hello. Don't go in my pocket. Tell that lie on me. Let me tell you what, what Solomon said in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. You ready? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Notice this. Notice this. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Somebody say, my stuff. And with the first fruits of all of your increase. First fruits means first. Absolutely. Not Uncle Sam doesn't take all his out first. Then you're tithing Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam can't bless you. He just wants to rob you. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all of your increase. Then look at what he says in verse 10. And your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Solomon is saying when you put God first... It's the principle of honoring God with what you have. Amen. Now, I know what some of you are saying, which is why I'm glad Solomon also put this. Proverbs chapter 11, look at this. This is good stuff. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who scatters. Talking about a farmer. There is one who scatters, but yet he increases more. Notice this next part, though. But there is one who withholds or keeps more than is right. Somebody say, is right. It leads to poverty. Because the Bible says he gives seed to the sower, 2 Corinthians 8. He gives seed to the sower and bread for your food. That means when God gives you increase, some of it is to eat, but the first part of it is to sow back into the kingdom of God. And listen, when a person scatters, they increase. No farmer gets more crops by keeping his seed in his pocket. That is wishful thinking. It is asinine and crazy for us to expect a harvest on a seed that you've never sown. Your seed in your pocket can do nothing. But notice the man in the beginning, he says, I just want to keep everything that I have. And notice what it says. Going back to our text, leave this, screen, this scripture there, but go back to our text. It says, man, you fool tonight, your soul will be required of you. And he says, this man was not rich towards God. But notice this. There is one who withholds more than is right. In other words, the law of inference says this. Go back, to, go back to that scripture in Proverbs 11. The law of inference says this. If there's one who withholds more than is right, that must mean there's a right amount to give. And guess what it says? When you withhold more than is right, it leads to what? Poverty. Now, let me explain something to you. 
God is not cursing people who doesn't tithe. That's an old teaching people used to say. Well, God's going to curse you. God's going to pop your tire. You're going to get it. He's going to get it some way. No, 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 no. Now, how do we reconcile that with Malachi 3? Well, Malachi 3 says you rob me uh, in tithe and offering. You're cursed with a curse the whole nation. Now, let me explain that. The fallen world system is already cursed. It's mammon. The way we redeem it is to give it back to the Lord. And when we give the Lord our first part, just like they offered him the first lamb that was perfect and spotless, it redeemed the rest of the flock. Just like Jesus gave his life first and redeemed the rest of us who would come down the line, the same way when we offer the Lord the first part of what he's given us, it sanctifies the rest. So listen, God's not cursing people. It's already cursed. You say, well, I know some rich rappers and some rich NFL players. They don't look cursed. Well, that's because you're interpreting it wrong. Because a man's life does not put, uh, is not accounted in the things that he possesses, but what he does for eternity. And when you give to the kingdom of God, it gives to souls. It gives to missions. It gives to things that produce increase and in ministry and discipleship. And only those things translate to treasure on the other side of eternity. So God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He put us in this world and he gave it to us to enjoy. But what he does mind is when stuff has us to the point to where we are trusting in our own strength rather than in the Lord. Amen? So how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? We do so by honoring God with our resources. Practically, what does that look like? It looks like giving God our tithe so that our local church can continue to have ministry in our families and in our communities. Husbands and wife, listen to me. When you get paid, don't just flippantly throw your check in the offering or, or hit the little button on your phone. You need to grab hands and pray. Ask God to bless. Come into agreement. Lord, this represents our strength that you've given us this week. This represents our vitality this week. And Lord, we're returning it unto you, knowing that you're going to bless the rest of it. That is what tithing does. It puts God first in our lives. And listen, tithing is an obedience issue, but it's also a heart issue. Why do I say that? Because nobody's checking behind you. I don't know what you give or don't give, but only you know if you give $20 a week and market tithe, you mean, that means you make $200 a week. You only know that. I don't. It's a heart issue. Right? So giving God our tithe, giving to missionaries to help spread the gospel around the world, giving to the poor and needy, in and outside of the church. Listen, Jesus said when you see somebody struggling and, and helpless and homeless and you help them and you do it in the right spirit, he says if you give a little one a cup of water in my name, you, you, you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me, and you will in no wise lose your reward. How we handle our finances, how we help the orphans and the widows, anything like that, it goes back to show our priority towards God. So, back to our text, and I'm closing. 
this morning. I just simply want to ask you the question. I want to ask you the question today. Okay? This is just a thought that I had. I heard somebody say one time, they said, they said this. They said, if a person was to be arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict them? Now, that's deep. But I want to take it further. This quote's on the screen. If people were to look through your financial records, could they tell that you love Jesus? Or could they tell you like Chick-fil-A or the spa or the hunting or whatever? You say, Pastor, I don't really think that's anybody. It's Jesus' business. It's Jesus' business. Let me tell you something. Jesus talked about giving and stewardship a lot in the Scripture. And those of you who know me, this is my favorite thing to talk about, although I do like it because I practice what I preach. And I've seen it work in my own life. The Bible truly does say it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's it's a good feeling whenever God enables you to be able to give. This morning, I just want to ask us. Last week, we've looked at sin and unforgiveness and things in our lives that we needed to get right with God. But I want to ask the question today, just a simple question. Just a simple question. Have you truly trusted God with your finances? I mean, really. Really, really. And if you answer no to that this morning, I want to ask you another question. You've already tried it your way so much. Why not try it God's way? Do you know tithing is literally the only place in the Bible where God says you're allowed to put him to the test? Malachi 3 says, prove me now, says the Lord. Try me and see if I won't do it. I have, in all my years of pastoring, I have never had a tither ask for their money back. Never. You know why? It works. It works. And here's the thing. It's not the amount. It's the principle. Because a person's tithe who makes $10 a week is not the same as somebody who makes a million dollars a month. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. It's the the entry-level place where God says, this is where we start right here. This is where we start. This is how I want people to give because it is to support the kingdom of God. Amen. That's what we do today. Hallelujah. I want us to stand on our feet.